Welcome to the Idle Book Club. This month we're discussing The Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes. Thanks, Alex. This is the Idle Book Club for September 2012. I'm Jake Rodkin. I'm Chris Remo. And I'm Sean Vanneman. The Idle Book Club is a monthly podcast in which we read and discuss one book each episode and encourage our audience to weigh in on the current selection. This month, we're discussing The Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes. And so The Sense of an Ending is a book that's uh, written in the first person and about a man sort of recounting his life over the past like 60 plus years. And it's written in two parts. He sort of looks at some seminal events of his youth as like sort of like a high school student in the pals that he runs around with. And then there's a hard break, like 40 years pass. And then, uh, there's a catalyzing event in his sixties that makes him revisit some of his memories of the past. And so much of the book is about these memories and him constantly struggling and not even struggling, but acknowledging that the way he remembers what happened is, Probably not what happened, but the truest version he is able to 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 bring to bear. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny actually because Sh- uh, Sean and I first talked about doing a book podcast late last year, and then I found this book lying around at a friend's house. Um, so I went into it completely. I went to it, I think, in the right in the right environment. Um, this book is a. It's told in a, essentially a series of recalled narrative fragments uh, by its protagonist. Uh, a guy named uh, Anthony and Anthony Webster. And it's just him recalling his life. He's reflecting on a series of events that slowly build over the course of the story. And it's really the thing I loved about it is how, how evocative it was to me of the way memory recedes and comes back to the foreground and kind of mutates itself in your brain over time. And when I read this, it's when I had just gotten back to San Francisco and uh, from from Boston, where I'd been temporarily living for about a year and a half. And I came back, and it was before I'd started at my new job. So I was just living in San Francisco. And so I was already doing a lot of reflection. You know, I had a lot of time during the day to just mm-hmm. explore a city that I that I know really well, that I used to live in, that I think of as home. Um, and my life had changed a lot in the last couple of years. I'd moved back and forth across the country. So I'd been doing a lot of reflecting just naturally it would be impossible to, to avoid. Um, and so re- this book really resonated with me when I read it because it in itself is n- essentially nothing but reflection. Um, it's mm-hmm. the, it, it begins with Tony, uh, focusing on his adolescent years at a school in England where he, where he grew up and, uh, his crew of friends that he palled around with, um, the, the kind of, uh, self-inflated philosophical discussions they would they would get into and the you know the sort of grand ideals they had about their lives that were that were the the kind of idle ideals that that you have you know with before you necessarily know what any of it actually means in in any practical right just my life's going to be something the thing that was interesting to me is that he skipped he skips in the in the retelling of his life story basically from the point where he's in his adolescence and in his early 20s essentially all the way Forty he skips forty years. Yeah, but before in, that skip, he talks about being with this girl Veronica, mm-hmm. who he recounts in very specific detail a summer trip to her house and meeting her mother. Mm-hmm. And the way he sort of relishes the details of the of that trip is, I think, awesome. I think it's really, really, really great yeah. and something I loved about the book. Yeah, and time actually slows down he, a ton during that one yeah, weekend in the book, mm-hmm. which is very sort of thematically appropriate for the way the entire book goes on. And even before that. Um, there's another sort of apex moment or a big, or like a big uh, event that happens in his life, which is, uh, a kid in their class, um, kills himself and they ruminate on the sort of rumors ruminate on about why he may have done that. And it's nice because time just sprints through like just instantly, like he goes through his entire, when he makes that jump that you're talking about, um, he goes through entire decades in sentences, but then lands on sort of iconic or like big events in his life with excruciating detail. Mm-hmm. Or not excruciating detail, but just well, fine. And it's actually, yeah, I guess that's true. And instantly the book jumps to part two where in that jump, there's basically a page where he says, I got married. It didn't work out. 
we have a daughter named Sarah. We talk sometimes, but we have a decent relationship. I think anyway, that's not what the story is about. I'm old now. And I thought that was like a, that was jarring. And I think people are noticing that on the forums. There's a really good discussion of the book happening right now. Uh, the idle thumbs.net slash forums under, uh, the idle book club. And we've been doing that. That's that conversation has been going on for months since we announced the book months ago. But, I think that that jump is really jarring for people, but mm-hmm. carry on. Sorry. After well, the jump, it's, it's definitely jarring because much of what he skips over is essentially the part of my life that I'm engaged in. <laughs> we're all, yeah, we're all I, I imagine a lot of our the, audience. The, yeah. yeah. And, uh, that is in some ways kind of a, a terrifying thing. Yeah. That was right? actually, that was the thing that, uh, Rody, one of the guys in the forums pointed out was, the, how the whole first part of the book is these guys talking about sort of waiting for their lives to start. And then it jumps to this guy who's 60 right. years old who's like, well, I guess I'm here now. And if, if you're a person who is now in their late 20s or 30s and is still maybe sort of thinking about their lives, like when you can – when you find yourself relating to the teenage kids in the school in that aspect a little bit, it's a little bit troubling. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, it's, it's, it's like, personally, yeah, jarring yeah. when you think – Hmm, I'm twice as old as as half of as the first half of this book, but I'm still associating with the possibility space in which they are thinking about the rest of their lives. Yeah. 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 Well, there's something that Jonathan Franzen said, uh the he's the author of The Corrections and Freedom and I I really like Freedom a lot and he uh there was an interview I think he did with I think he did it with Terry Gross when when Freedom was coming out. They were talking about David Foster Wallace, the author. I think we we discussed him a little bit on the previous podcast mm-hmm. of the previous episode. And he, uh, you know, he, he, he committed suicide several years ago and Franzen, who was, who was a friend of Wallace's, they were, they were known to be good friends, said something to the effect of it wasn't until David Foster Wallace died that I actually started thinking of myself as an adult, which is a silly thing to, I think, and that, that can sound kind of trite, but, but what he meant by that, which he elaborated on was that until until that moment, he realized that his self-image of himself was basically 24-year-old him. And he just never – as much as he tried to write serious fiction and, and you know, be uh, – live an adult, responsible adult in the world, which, I'm, you know, he obviously has done. His just self-perception um, yeah, had never been updated. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's – I mean that's something that probably a lot of people can relate to. And when you, and well, Tony in the book, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel just, like never had that catalyzing over, event. Yeah. He yeah. glosses over all the stuff that generally speaking, one thinks of as a life, which yeah. is building a family, having a career. You know, we, I, I, I can't even remember what his career is if he even says, um, but that's a thing that he would have spent 40 yeah. years doing, you know, and to hit, and it's, it's, I think he might've hit on it, but it's like a sentence. I'm sure yeah. somebody's going to tell us as soon as they hear this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. And I, I, that was something that really stuck with me. I, re- I reread it this week in preparation for the podcast and, uh, I guess didn't pick up on that, that detail, but, uh, yeah. but, um, it, it was knowing that that would be the case the first time through almost made it even more, uh, noticeable. Um, because I knew all of the sparse biographical details about his entire, the entire middle two thirds right. of his life. And it was even more obvious that they so were like coming they were, up on them and then jumping over them. Exactly. Yeah. That they were largely ignored and just kind of sprinkled in, uh, here and there. Um, but the, you know, uh, Sean, as you said, it was split between two sections that are explicitly part one and part two. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because so much of part one is just lyrical. You know I mean? It's, it's the, it's the recollection of these memories and it's, it's a lot of the, a lot of what's great about part one is just almost the joy of the prose itself. You know, it's just, it's just really well told. It's really, really, the memories are, are really well remembered. And in the second half, it almost becomes this procedural or something, you know, I mean, it becomes an excavation where in the first, yeah. the first half is the recollection and the second half he's, he's so, yeah. drilling down. We should go ahead and just describe what that procedural is. I think just so sure. people are up on mm-hmm. the, well, yeah, we're details. talking about this li- this guy's life, but the actual sort of through line that motivates yeah. both halves of these we've we sort of skipped over, which is the mm-hmm. the love story and his close friend at school. Yeah, Adrian was right. uh, someone who was in his class mm-hmm. when they were in the school together, but he was the like slightly magnetic figure. Yeah, like the magnetic yeah. the magnetic figure who seems to have the right answer more often and is also a little bit more of an aloof character than mm-hmm. uh, than Tony is. And not only have the right answer, but but apparently the one who more more often than anyone else 
is able to make everyone realize that there probably isn't an answer. I mean, he's, yes. he's the, you know, he's the kid who every time the teacher calls on him and asks what every other student in the class would think of as a straightforward question, mm-hmm. Adrian's response is to essentially undermine the authority of the question to even be yep. asked in the first place, basically, or, or rather to just establish it as a purely philosophical point rather than a factual one. You know, the teacher will ask about, about a cause of, of something in world war one or whatever. And Adrian's response will is essentially just to call into question the notion of any kind of objective history in the first place. Right. And that's, that clearly speaks to the theme of the book as a whole, which is about the reliability of memory and the kind of self recreating nature of our own opinion of our lives. That's something that I, that stuck with me probably more than anything else in this book is the fact that Tony is the protagonist simply by virtue of being the person who gets to tell the story. You know, there's the, there's the quote in the book that, uh, let me see if I, if I actually have it. Um, history is that certain, that certainty produced at the point where the imperfections of memory meet the inadequacies of documentation. Oh, that wasn't the one I had in mind, but that's great. I mean, that's also, that's also relevant. Um, so there's that, which is an amazing, you know, a fairly amazing quote quotation. And then there's history. Isn't the lives of the victors. I know that now it's more the memories of the survivors, most of whom are neither victorious nor defeated, which I I thought was really amazing. And the, the fact that the story is told by Tony, uh, means that Tony is the de facto, sympathetic character at least for most of the book you know he's he's the one from whom the from whose perspective all of the events are recounted even when he's even when he's being self-deprecating or self-doubting it always ultimately comes through his eyes and so we're always going to see things from his perspective and whether or not he judges his own act actions positively or negatively uh he's there's always going to be that inherent bias that it's coming from his perception of these events and the notion of the, of, of the him as a survivor is, I mean, it's literally appropriate because he has two friends in the book who commit suicide. And I mean, Adrian being such a central character to his early life and then dying, it's incredibly important to the, to the, to the narrative that Adrian is no longer physically alive to have a perspective on this. Well, the catalyzing event for the second part is that, uh, the girl Veronica who he dated in the first, who he talks about dating in the first part, he then goes on in the second part where he's called to the reading of a will or he's, he realizes he's been left something in somebody's will and it's Veronica's mother and he's been left $500 and Adrian's diary. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to sort of suss out why she would have had this and spends a good chunk of time trying to reobtain it Mm -hmm. from his long lost ex-girlfriend, Veronica, which he's never able to do. Right. And, which is, you know, it's appropriate to Adrian's just yep. <laughs> yeah. unknowable nature. And, uh, that, that sort of mystery of what is in the diary upon first reading is the thing that pulls you through the second part of the book. Mm-hmm. And I think we can, we'll get into sort of the criticisms of, or, you know, readers criticisms of the second part of the book here in a second. But it's funny upon second reading, because you have you know where the the story of the diary is going, you can really relish the way he's remembering it as opposed to waiting for the twist. Yeah. So this is forty years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a person, that's weird. <laughs> but that, I always thought that was a really interesting. Well, already, fact about things the book. I've done even just ten years ago feel like they were done by a different right. person, let yeah. alone four times that right. long. And I think that's a really interesting uh, aspect of the book. But 40 years later, he's trying to get this thing that he thinks is rightfully his from this girl who won't give it to him. As the book winds up and comes to a close, he continues to sort of go down this rabbit hole of the what is happening in Veronica's life and just really barrel his nose into this poor girl's well, <laughs> existence. And he only finds out he only finds out once he actually begins to take an active interest, right? right? Instead of what he's been doing up to that point, which is kind of trying to weasel his... Well, it starts with just get me that diary, but then it sort of turns into more stuff, right? More of a, a yeah, central he, obsession he starts for him. To, yeah, he starts yeah. to actually... He starts to actually habituate himself among the people he's trying to... Uh, learn about. Learn about yeah. instead of his weird email-based strategy of just annoying information out of Veronica, mm-hmm. which he is something that he... You can tell over his life he has taken pride in over time, his ability to be kind of boringly irritating to the to just wit, uh, arrive at, at the intended conclusion through attrition yeah um you know he's his whole life he kind of ultimately sums up as as being 
kind of safe and non-confrontational. And yeah, he's very much a friend of inertia. Mm-hmm. We're just like, oh, I'll just keep pushing this or I'll just stay static. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting aspect of his character. Yeah. I think it's it's weird that we've talked about all this stuff without talking about the letter, which is like right. that the is, fulcrum that is the of main, the entire yep, book. Exactly. Um, I was just going to say so. So yeah. go ahead. Oh, well, just one. It's it's sort of the 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 event which takes place in both his recounting of his youth and <clears throat> sorry, and then sort of reassessing his entire life later is the letter that he wrote uh, to, Adrian. to Adrian and Veronica or to, he wrote to Adrian about the fact that Adrian had gotten into a relationship. He addressed it to Adrian. And oh, it is, it is to both of them. It was to Adrian and, and then in parentheses and Veronica oh, was clearly, yeah, God. Was really good. Yeah, and, and, yeah, it's a thing a kid writes. It's and, horrible. Yeah, at, the, at the beginning of the book, we get Tony's just recollection of like, oh, I met her up in this letter and it's very like even handed intellectual and slightly snarky where he totally has the upper hand in this thing. Uh, but you know, like, his recollection of the letter is sort of like he tuts about it. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then he gets the letter from well, he wrote, he wrote her, he wrote them two letters. He wrote one, le- he wrote a first letter, which was this very affected formal language of oh i thought that that was i thought that the thing that was returned to him later was the was yeah yeah the yeah letter the letter was. that Cur- okay. yeah, yeah he wrote he wrote he first wrote- adrian a letter that was something like received your episode on the day of the 17th oh, oh right no problems here full speed ahead whatever yeah which and is then because adrian had told him that he was dating his ex-girlfriend veronica right. and then and but then, then the second letter suit, when we then first followed up with because doesn't he recount what that letter is the first time and it's very like his memory of it is, an, is a reasonably politely well-worded thing that's a little bit snarky. And then when Veronica hands him that in the second half yeah, of the book. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't, yeah, he, I don't think he even put any direct quotes from it. He just described it. Oh, right, being, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just his, right, we don't even, yeah, we don't read it in the first half of the book. We just get his memory of describing how he expressed Well, he's really proud feelings. that he sticks it to them a little bit. He's like, oh, I really stuck it to them. And anyway, yeah. I, I, and then I closed that chapter of my life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. But uh, the letter surfaces and... Uh, in his adult life. In its exact text. Yeah. So you as the reader get to read it verbatim and it's despicable. And the thing that you write when you're 17 and angry and wishes them a horrible life, wishes them uh, just... Oh, a disgusting but in, but fetus, most, I think, is the, the word he uses. Personal possible way. Yeah, yeah. it's just a it's vile, they're, they're personal, are, gross. It was that it hurt me to read that when I was yeah. reading through it. It was really gross, it and was, it was difficult in many ways. The letter that Tony writes in the first part of the book comes to pass in a lot of very uh, abstract ways in Veronica's life. Right, and I, I noticed one of the. Um, one of the common um, criticisms of the book uh, I saw on, a, on the forums and in other forums that were uh, were talking about our podcast was that um, I, I noticed a fair number of people thought Veronica was unnecessarily um, kind of snippy and um, withdrawn from Tony in the second half of the book where she just refuses to spell anything out for him. She refuses to give him any information. She treats him very coldly. And the thing that I, I think is really worth bearing in mind about about the big gap that occurs in this book and, and, and all of the, the really crucial thing about the fact that this entire thing is told from Tony's perspective is that Sean, as you said, after, after he wrote this letter, he essentially closed the door on that chapter of his life. And he even explicitly says he almost kind of started retelling his life in a way that often didn't necessarily even mention. Yeah. He explicitly says he left it because he left it out to Margaret, his ex-wife. Right. Until they, until they had been together a little while longer Mm -hmm. than he explained it to her. But, um, the, he went essentially 40 years having that be a, just a youthful kind of dalliance, you know, just this is a little episode in his young life. And that was it. It, It wasn't presumably something that actually occupied his thoughts for decades upon decades. Whereas for, for Veronica, that period of about, about two years, as I recall, a year and a half, two years, it seems like it kind of was, defined her life. It defined her entire life. There was yeah. never a, probably a single waking moment of her life after that moment where there wasn't something either emotionally difficult or just physically time consuming to deal with, right. with, with, with respect to the fallout of, of that year. And right. it, it's so like for her so when, like, when Tony shows up in that person's life, just like, Hey, right. I want that and book. She's like, Oh fuck that. Yeah. yeah. She, and being, being this weird, this weird manipulative weirdo sending her these prodding emails every day and weaseling information out of her brother. I mean, he, he, 
surely would come off as, as just an incredible creep. 40 years later, suddenly just, just inserting himself into mm-hmm. all these things. And it's, she's probably been thinking about him so much, not necessarily about him and their relationship, but tangentially, he, tangentially, right. As just someone connected right. to that, to that period of, of her life. Right. So just that email going never, in yeah. your inbox, like, right. She's probably had fictional conversations with him in her brain right. that she's replayed that he simply has not been thinking of. Right. So, to, to her, he is probably relatively unwelcome old news, whereas mm-hmm. to him, this whole thing is this weird, out-of-nowhere thing. Just sort of suddenly, fascinating thing. Where suddenly, he's named back. in yeah. a will, and he's yeah. got to, he's, yep. you know, rethinking all these. Well, that's um, so interesting about the book, because the main sort of character arcs that you would define in sort of a very classic, uh, a very classic story, sort of conflict and big ups and downs and highs and lows and character development, all that stuff is happening in Veronica's life. Like she right, is absolutely. a protagonist of that of the story of the book. Mm-hmm. She is the one who's the, at the fulcrum of she's the most central character. Yeah. Like she is the most central character, but you're seeing it all. Mm-hmm. And I, this is pointed out in the forums, and maybe you have uh, the exact folks' names on the forums because this is a really great <laughs> comment. But Tony believes he is the protagonist in a story in which he is not, and that is a fascinating way to tell a story. And that's something yeah. I really. Yeah, it's, I didn't pick up, I didn't really relish until the second reading of the book and also talking with my wife about having read the book and, uh, through discussion in the second reading, you really, I was really, really able to relish how well Julian Barnes crafts a story around that conceit. I just thought that was awesome. I thought that was really, really, really Especially because that, that is just how life works. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Any, any weird passing interaction you have with someone in your life, every weird little incident that occurs that you that you engage with for any amount of time and then and then don't think about. It. I mean, in all likelihood, to somebody else, that is the result of of an incredibly complex series of events and uh, other other people who have who have intersected with that thing to make it happen. Obviously, not every single thing in your life, but we we tend to judge other people based on what is just inevitably the just the thinnest possible awareness of what's going on in that person's life what's right. going on inside their their mind what's totally going, and it's it's impossible not to do that because we can't we can't be in everybody's mind all the time it, right. you know it's not not possible but we make disproportionately strong casual judgments about people regardless mm-hmm. and tony is a that's all he does in this book. It's mm-hmm. really, he meets Veronica. He, in the first part, he recounts having met Veronica's brother at that summer at Veronica's family's house mm-hmm. or the weekend that he spent there. And he talks about his, her brother being this sort of jockish schoolboy sort of type who's best friends with dad and sort of right. judgmental of the new boyfriend. And then, which he then self reinforces, he just reinforces in his He brain. reinforces yeah. and then like grabs and just copy and pastes over this man's entire life. Yep. So when he reaches out to him on email, I can't remember where he get, got his email address. Brother Jack, as he used to call him. Mm-hmm. He emails him to get Veronica's email address, but he, he tracks down this guy that he spent a weekend at his house in when he was 18 or so. Yep. And the guy writes him back and says, Oh, hey, I'm can't do that. Sorry. Hope you're doing well. Um, sorry, I got a dash. I'm in Singapore. Must go. Mm-hmm. or sydney or somewhere he's in the south, south yeah, and he signs he signs off two emails in a row with, with there's my rickshaw there must get going <laughs> yeah that yep. was an incredible touch yeah that was fantastic and that he has the exact same line that <laughs> but tony cool. extrapolates that out to the fact that he just must be some hedge fund managing douche right and or, or he's just making it all up and he's just sitting in his country home right overlooking a golf course and he's got this right. incredibly exactly. specific assumption about this as opposed to being the son of a woman who cheated on her husband with his sister's boyfriend and then produced a child and felt the need maybe to just retreat from his life which is a very human thing for veronica's brother not you know know, yeah yeah yeah, there's no way to know presupposing that the locations that jack says he's in in the emails was was true but who knows yeah and it's it's great i mean that's what's so wonderful about the book is you know, it's such a very classic uh, uh, thing to talk about, but just not judging people based on their surfaces. I mean, I think the book definitely is an indictment of a lot of things as well. I don't know how you feel about that, actually. I think the book is definitely an indictment of that judgmental narcissism that comes from living too small of a life. And I think 
I don't know. How do you think about that? I don't know if it's necessarily an indictment of of that trait that comes with living too small a life. I think it's – I didn't necessarily read it as an indictment. I read it as an acknowledgement um, probably more than mm-hmm. anything else. I think I read it as it just, it observes a, re- that that a reminder yeah. to the reader. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. I, uh, I think that because the because when I think about it, it's almost impossible for me to imagine an actionable alternative other than assuming the best in everybody, which can be dangerous for, for, for other reasons. I mean, probably not as dangerous as assuming the worst in everybody, but, um, Tony does some despicable things in this book. No, he absolutely does. But, but people, people do, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean yeah. human, but, I mean, I, yeah, uh, no, 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 like, no, I mean, that's, that's, I don't that's mean a harsh def- thing to say because the despicable things that Tony does, they're heightened because it's a fictional story, but the things that he does, the things that he does both as a child or as, as a, as a young man, and as an old man and as an old man reassessing the things that he did as a young man, that's the stuff that is just the most human in a way out of any oh, of the I'm stuff not in that saying book. it's not human, but he's a dick. Yeah. I don't think that it's not universal, though. I mean, the, in, yeah. in the specifics, sure. He's, oh, no, he's no, no not, I'm not trying to say But even to not. say he's a dick, I feel like you're falling prey to the exact thing that you're saying the book is an indictment of. Because, we're again, we're taking a few incidents that occur over, what, 64 years of this man's life that we acknowledge the book skips more than two-thirds of that. And we look at the yeah, little right. incidents. Those, those are, I think it's the – I mean, because you have to say, if Tony's the protagonist, right, the construction of the text – is at his his hand within the fiction of the entire book. Yeah. So there are ways that Tony constructs. I mean, it, Julian Barnes as Tony constructs the narrative that acknowledge the fact that Tony recognizes when he does something that sticks it to somebody for no other reason than his personal pleasure. For instance, when he gets an email from from Veronica's brother and it says, "Hey, here you go. Here's her email. Don't tell her you got it from me. Don't want to cause any waves at home." The next, ter- turn the page. Dear Veronica, I got your email address from your brother. Blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, the thing, like, the thing about mean? that that I thought was, was, was just super good is, I'm not saying it's not no, good. No, like, the, the, the kind of freaked me out in a, in a good way and freaked me out is a stupid thing to say, but he, he gets the letter from Veronica that just gives him this piercing flash to what a fucking dick he was as a as a young man and he it that hits him pretty hard right like, right right but at the oh, same no, it's, time it's, it's, he's still doing that bullshit with the email and like it that happens to him and he goes oh my god but then it like well he recounts the bullshit with the email way before he gets the letter yeah and i think the letter definitely racks things into focus well, and, but and it doesn't him, change get, who he is as a person no but though. it gives him a direct lens into who he was in the past for the first time anywhere in the book Sure. I just I, something happens to Tony, and then it goes through sort of it goes through, and I think this is fascinating and awesome. And every single person on the planet does it, which I think is great. And I'm not saying that like everything you're saying is true, but some t- something happens to Tony, or he does something, and it is instantly interpreted in a way that it can fit neatly on the shelf of who he is as a person in his life. Mm-hmm. And then for him to get hard evidence of something he did way before. And have to compare and contrast that to the letter that he wrote in his head mm-hmm. is what makes the book. It's fantastic. Yeah, you know, and no, I think absolutely. that's what happens in life. And well, it doesn't, you know, I, and I think how we come to terms with the way we're an asshole is a fascinating exploration in the book. No, absolutely. And that's why I take, that's why I take issue with you just summing up Tony as just being a dick. Like, no, I don't I mean to like explain that, him in his totality. Yeah. Cause what, the, the way that that is the way that that, happens in the book with tony it immediately made me just recount like there are times when lesser versions of that have happened in my life where or maybe more grandiose versions of it i don't really know how to compare the relative impact of my life to that guy's but just it made me like that bit hurt a lot because it just in my brain went like a billion times where i just go back into my life and recount moments that i've then had reason to reassess and super regret about no, totally. about who i am or who i was and how much do i want to think about was versus am mm-hmm. as a person and stuff like that oh my yeah. god it's, yeah no it's, it's very difficult i had a, yeah. my first relationship in college um was i think to this day i consider this the worst thing i've ever done in my entire life i uh on a personal level um i ended for reasons that are you know stupid 
that you look back on and they were, it was stuff that I'd overthought, you know, like in my brain that I, that I subjected to weird critical analysis based on very similar to these guys, weird, I weird overthought ideals that had not been proven out by any, uh, empirical, you know, mm-hmm. evidence of any kind, but just ways that I thought about the world and about, about people and the way that people live led me, you know, without getting into specifics to end a particular relationship. And I wrote something to this girl who I, who I'd recently broken up with that <laughs> the reason this book hit me so hard that I cannot even remember the specifics of because I know it was really bad. And it, I, like you've wallpapered over the contents of it. Yeah. And it's been much less uh, time than it was for Mm -hmm. Tony since that happened. And it still is so hazy in my memory at this point. And I haven't spoken to her since then, literally. Well, no, that's not true. I, I spoke to her in the months following that, but you know, after that year of college, right, right. That, that chapter would close. I have have not spoken to her and, and I don't expect (laughs) this. I don't, for a second, imagine there were any of the same kinds of like horrible snowball like avalanche of right. Yeah, you don't imagine case, the butterfly effect of like, like, horrible. No, your but, side of that equation matches up whether or not. The yeah, other yeah, side exactly, does. exactly. Yeah. Right, but you know, and and I I ho- it I think about this a lot that I hope that that you know Jake, as you said, comparing the your yourself of then to yourself of now, and and like I, I compare those things a lot in my brain, and it's very difficult for me to. To make those comparisons because I, I, it's potentially really incriminating to me as an entire person. And I, you know, that, that's, but, but similarly, I was probably actually right around this pretty much the exact same age, actually, Tony was when he, when he wrote that letter, which is, which is just horrifying for me to think about. But, um, because of how much it hit the nail on the head for me when I was reading this. But you're, uh, there's actually something, there's a quote he said about this actually that relates directly, um, to this. Well, he says, that, okay, hold on real quick. Let me just read this quote because oh. it's, it just sums up what I was kind of saying. When we are young and sensitive, we are also at our most hurtful. Whereas when the blood begins to slow, when we feel less sharply, when we are more armored and have learned to bear, learned how to bear hurt, we tread more carefully. And there's, there's something I oh, think no, that he, yeah, that is wonderful. really true about that, about when you are younger, you're, you, that is when those manifesto like ideals about the world are, are forged in, in you. And you're so much, you're one on a, on a certain side. Of, you're on one side of the coin. You're so much harder in a way. You're so much less compromising and so much less flexible. But on the other side, you're so much more vulnerable because you're so accustomed to heightening every opinion you have about everything and every emotion you feel about something that you are so much more easily bruised and lashing out becomes seemingly in your head so much more justifiable. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Because and I think you, you think and you also don't know how to control. To I mean, it's kind of like a like a baby snake. Yeah. Like you don't know how to mm-hmm. control your your venom. Absolutely. You know, and I think yeah. that quote made me sad, actually, and just because of the positives and negatives of what that implies about a person. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's, the thing that I thought was so sorry. The thing that I thought was so fascinating about the book is this, the incredibly deft prose that Julian Barnes allows Tony to have in describing these philosophical things, these very like self-evident things. Like, so philosophically self-evident is actually a phrase that he uses throughout the book. Yeah. Sort of an increasing in kind of tongue in cheek yeah, yeah. manner. Yeah. yeah, yeah Which absolutely. I think is great. And there's, there's a lot of, of that kind of echoing throughout the book, which is really on the one hand, it's kind of overtly, it's kind of obvious and it's in the kind of literary formation of it, mm-hmm. but it also comes off as so, uh, uh, not precious. Well, even right? yeah, like yeah, yeah. As, as a character, you can see that guy as an old man, just kind of rolling that phrase around in his mouth and just sort of smirking it. At exactly. It, like looking yeah. back I, yeah. in a way that, yeah, it, yeah, it functionally works because the book is that sort of mirror, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was good. 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 It's books. Fu- yeah. It's, it's funny to me though. Like uh, Tony is a tragic character to me. And, the whole story is is semi tragic, like through and through, and the life that Tony has built for himself, where he like his relationship with Margaret is actually really fascinating to me. And Margaret is his ex wife who he had a daughter with, mm-hmm. and he they still get along. They kind of always talk about oh maybe one day we'll take a vacation together, and he has these lunches with Margaret where she he, becomes his confidant. Yeah, his in this, confidant. In the latter half of the book. Which completely falls away when he sort of defies 
the spirit of their relationship, I think, in his actions. Mm, that's a good way of putting it. You know, and it was so hard for me to like to see Tony continue throughout the course of the book, make his life smaller and smaller and smaller mm. at his own hand. Yeah. And that was something that was really, they made like, and I should say like when I said Tony is a dick, I think Tony has the ability like anybody to act in a very like self-aware dickish way, yep. you know? And I thought that was and putting, that, putting the knife in. Yeah. And you know, a little, little, rest or twist, just a little bit of a jab, a little, little you know? twist, yeah. you know? And, it was so hard for me to see Tony, who's this product of a lot of, seems to be a lot of like loneliness, act in such destructive ways, even as an old man. And that was really. It's that, also not uncommon for a well spoken, well educated, lonely person to be the person who is fucking adept at putting that knife in. No, so. of course not. Yeah, no, the character is incredibly, just beautifully rendered. Yeah. Like, oh, he is I also, real. I also don't, you know. I also, I can't escape from the notion that. That, that for the most part, those moments in Tony's life are not what define his life. I mean, I, I think there's right. something really, you know, I, I, I think it's worth bearing in mind that he goes it's out. It's what of, he ruminates on a ton in this book. Exactly. But, I but think he that, goes out of his way to gloss over entire segments of his life that sound almost idyllic. You know, the, the months he had with right. Annie when he was sort of just backpacking across the United States and he meets this girl who wears flannel shirts and they just have this. You know, this is most likely um, fairly um, innocent kind of young relationship. I mean, in, not yeah. It's like in a like road a trip way, daily. Like, of, but, yeah, it just yeah, seems but like th- there doesn't seem to be any turmoil in the same way there there was. He basically goes on a backpack like, and has a fling, and it sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then he has what, by all accounts, seem to be a fairly subdued marriage, producing a fairly well-adjusted child. And you know, you have to you have to at least I I imagine. The vast majority of his life is is fairly um, unremarkable and placid. I think you that know, he and takes he, that life for granted to a certain degree, oh, though, because it's no doubt, yeah. yeah, because it's not the weird heightened thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I wonder. Oh, it's so. Fa- it's really. It's funny to me because, again, because of what the book is essentially about, which is this laser focus, these laser focus events through the lens of very personal of personal remembrance with large gaps of emptiness in between them because that's what the book is about it makes me wonder how julian barnes feels about tony right well that's that's you know really I mean? difficult because i you know someone, i have no idea no i don't either yeah. i i someone on I the think i know <laughs> i've talked to julian yeah jules as i call him yeah. <laughs> someone on the forums um who, who didn't like the book so much uh took took issue with the book being a really strong example of telling over showing, which the, mm. you know, that this reader didn't, didn't appreciate he, he, the idea of show don't tell, he thought should have been applied much more. And the, um, Greg Brown, who's a, who's a frequent, he frequently writes into our video game podcast. Um, he pointed out one that he thinks the show don't tell adage is over more undue credence is given to it as an ironclad rule of any kind of writing, which, which I agree with generally. I agree with broadly. I think that mm-hmm. you shouldn't just take three words and just that sound good and then just assume they should equally apply to every piece of writing ever written. Right. But, but also, um, even aside from that, one of the things that I thought was so impressive about this book is how much of it wasn't telling, but rather considering or asking. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there are a lot of moments where, where Tony says, and is this how things work or isn't this how, how life works or isn't this how memory works? And you could read that yeah. as just the answer is always yes. And this is just Julian Barnes declaring his opinions about memory and about life and about uh, uh, about characters and about people and relationships. But I don't – I really don't actually think that's what's going on. I really think the book is actually posing those questions and not taking a hard stand. Oh, I agree. Uh, about yeah. any of them. And it's, it's – because there – because – it goes back to you know what I was saying earlier about making judgments about people based on such incomplete information. I mean, we just all of our relationships are informed by such such incomplete information. I mean, we there's so little in our lives. There's so few decisions we can make that are completely informed and that have all the perspective and have that all the context and that take everyone's opinions and lives equally into account. I mean, you, you there's just there's no way to do that. And I feel like the value of this book 
was less as a as was less prescriptive in terms of saying this is how you should interact with people or this is how you should think about other people or, or this is how you should remember your past relationships or decisions you made in your life and more about just reminding us about the the complete uncertainty of all of those things and saying at least bear in mind mm-hmm. you know that that we can't know any of this for sure you know at least before you make this particular judgment or before you evaluate someone this way remember how much you don't know you can't possibly know mm-hmm. you know i mean that that's that's veronica's refrain for the second half of the book is you'll never get it and don't even try and um and she you know they she never really reconciles with tony and that's just that's just how things are sometimes but um tony only ever even starts to make headway when he stops just taking wild guesses at things and, and putting them out there um which isn't to say that that you should just live your life just un, indecisively and and without any kind of opinion or conviction about anything. But to me, that, that was a really big takeaway of the book. I mean, it, it just, when you look at the way, you know, for example, political discourse happens, so much of it is just around assigning motives to people of different, uh, who, who hold different opinions than you do, but then, then kind of going beyond that and assuming all these different, all these things about the fundamental root of that person's character or a group of person, mm-hmm. people, you know, their character. And that, you know, to me, this book is saying, it's just, it's just reminding us, how completely meaningless that can be. But this doing this book is doing it on a very inter, small interpersonal level mm-hmm. rather than sort of a sociological mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Want to take a break? Sure. And we're back. And we were sort of just going through the forums where there's been a really like a 12 page discussion about this book uh, already, which is intimidating, but also cool. And something I instantly jumped out at, and it's something we had talked about, and then I saw from a poster named Yosef uh, Stalin, not to be confused with Joseph Stalin. Uh, he said, after the sense of the ending, he did not enjoy it. He found it really dull. There was just nothing there to grab his attention, and the protagonist was not interesting or even likable, and basically nothing at all happens in the book. Clearly didn't like it, but I think I do want to talk about the idea of likable characters, because yeah, that for is sure. something mm-hmm. we work... In, we all work in the game industry and it's a creative field and you're building characters from nothing oftentimes. And the idea of your characters have to be likable is something I have resisted as a creator and I also resist as a reader. Uh, but I get it. I get the sort of dissatisfaction of not being like, oh man, this like yeah. this guy's my hero. This guy's... He's not really even the protagonist. <laughs> he's just the narrator. Mm-hmm. And... And I don't really know I where to like jump the, from that. The notion but. of likable characters is equivalent, not not entirely equivalent, but I feel it is somewhat analogous to. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, to fun. A, yep, yep. Is to to the watchword in in video games, which is fun, which is just used as the defining characteristic to dismiss or praise a game without needing to go into any other depth about it. I don't think that likable characters is as overriding or as all encompassing as, as fun in games. I think, I think it's, it's a little bit more specific, but I do think it shares some similarities, which, which are, is one of which is, and I don't want to put words in this particular reader's mouth, but I think it can be used this way uh, to look at a book, for example, as a piece of escapism. You know, I'm reading this so that I can get lost in a world that, that I enjoy being in surrounded by characters that I personally enjoy. Um, and that's definitely not, that's definitely not what I, what I read for. Mm-hmm. Although I, I recognize that obviously yeah, there are, it, there are people who do. It's a purpose. It is a purpose mm-hmm. for books, but it's not the purpose for books. Right. Right. Uh, and, um, to me also all mediums, I uh, guess all mediums, which are primarily narrative. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and, um, to me, uh, or video games, <laughs> Well, yeah. What you mean is, <laughs> what you mean is a medium that explicitly depicts a world and characters. Yes. Yeah. The thing that really bothers me about sort of the likable characters critique is how limiting it is, you know? And I think there's probably a less limiting, although not all-encompassing adjective that you could use. Like, you could just say compelling. You could say developed. You, you could say... You could, but you might not be actually intending the same thing at all. Right, like it might, right, just, of course. might not be just a matter of what vocabulary you're using. I mean, it, you might just be fundamentally uh, making. I think I probably point. might be boiling down the, the likable characters critique to just somebody saying to 
you're saying you're what you mean to be saying is just an enjoyable read right right like i think but i think that's the idea of an enjoy i do think that's i think likable characters is more specific than that you know yeah but i mean there are, i think the the critique is that when people say a book needs to have likable characters it's a book must have likable characters in order to be an enjoyable read sure but it's only one example of why it might not be for them sure sure but the 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 thing that i think I, the thing that um i guess i was going to say is that i'm in a way almost more suspicious of a book if the characters are overridingly likable you know oh, if for sure are, if if i feel like if i feel like i'm being allowed to just identify too much with a character in an aspirational way that worries me right, right. like i i can definitely re- i can you know in a lot of cases unfortunately um relate to tony a lot in this book i mean i find him a relatable character mm-hmm. but i don't find him necessarily an aspirational character i find him relatable because i i do literally relate to things from his life not because he's someone that i that fits my ideal self image of myself and i think that's that's a really that's a like two different kinds of being relatable that that are very different. Well, even furthermore, I think you empathize with Tony, mm-hmm, and I think as well, yeah. and I think that's a really important distinction. It's something we've talked about a lot about the power of books that it's different than other medium media's. And um, I've had a long conversation with my wife about this, but I think it's important in life to be able to empathize with people that you don't like. And Absolutely. books mm-hmm. are really, really accessible, are a really, really clear avenue. They ask you to do that in order to enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think is, that's at the heart of why we're even doing this cast, I think, albeit doing it clunkily <laughs> tonight. <Yeah. laughs> but uh, I think that's that's definitely like top of the list. No, absolutely. It's 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 because it's not just empathizing for the characters themselves. It's understanding things about those characters that then allow you to look at at people you might encounter in the real world or scenarios you might encounter in the real world and draw back on observations that you maybe have encountered in fiction and allow that to inform how you empathize with other actual people. I mean, you know, that's that, that to me is the thing that this book really achieved. And it was, it was ultimately the biggest, probably the single biggest value of the book for me, right? Yeah. It was, was looking at, because the characters were, whether or not they were likable, whether or not they were even relatable, right? I mean, this character had things in his life that happened to be relatable for me, but they, it, he may, he may also not have, right? I don't think that would have made it a worse book, but he was, it was entirely believable to me in his motivations. I mean, it was, he, you know, Barnes sold Tony to me. I, I buy Tony as a character who operates the way he does, um, whether or not I can necessarily ascribe specific complex motive to every single single thing he does. Yep, I completely he, agree. he as, as a holistic character is believable to me. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that is so valuable about literature or one of, one of the, one of the many things, you know, obviously that's, that's valuable about literature, especially now in an, in an age where most entertainment that is consumed is relatively large scale commercial entertainment, which is not inherently bad, but it's just that most of the entertainment we can, we consume is intended for millions of people to enjoy is relatively dependent on technology, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, means that a lot of, um, that commercial entertainment does have to, you know, it's most of the time it's got to play with a certain, um, market segment or audience or whatever. And, and there is a danger in not having your characters be likable enough because what do you, what do you stand to gain? Right. You know, whereas a book it's written by one person, it doesn't necessarily need to sell. Well, it certainly doesn't need to sell 10 million copies to be successful. You know, it doesn't, you don't, there's a lot of those concerns that are a little less important. You don't need to worry about the fact that in the first paragraph of this book, Tony talks about sperm being sluiced down a drain pipe. You don't need to worry about I shouldn't say you don't need to worry, but the author needs to be a little Sluice, less by the way. sluiced. Yeah, I know. Choice. Well, Good. Yeah. Um, and even putting it this way, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable because it makes me, it makes it feel like I'm describing literature as a joyless exercise or something that's only about horrible people. And I don't think that's true at all. I just think it's that, really fun. Well, that's also, book, I mean, I think, that, right? yeah. like, like I had a lot of, I really had a lot of fun reading. Sure. Book. Sure. But I think a lot of people could, could interpret what I said as, Oh, literature should only be dry and cynical. And that's not what I mean at all. But I I think, I think it has room to explore the full breadth of the human experience in all of its 
greatness and all of its kind of ignominy. Yeah. You know, it's I, just, I think a lot of it too is just in like a lot of popular media and also, and again, I like more than one person has discussed the notion of likable characters. I mean, obviously in the world and not just the, the person who wrote that in. So I don't sure, want no, to no. sound like this, but like, I think a lot of a likable character in a story is, is so that you can, as we said, you know, you relate, you live mm-hmm. sort of vicariously through that person them, and it, reading that story or experiencing that story makes you feel better about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, the thing is like the sense of an ending is it's not the opposite of that. The reading the sense of an ending doesn't make me feel better about myself, nor does it make me feel worse about myself. It just makes me reconsider and reexamine things about myself and about the decisions that I've made. And then mm-hmm. also just about other people in the world. And that's, you know, that, but so yeah. I, I wouldn't be too, too concerned about it being, assumed to be a negative in some way, I guess. I don't know. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I agree. You know, David Foster Wallace actually has a really pithy quote about this, which is fiction is what it means to be a fucking human being. And that's, that's how he summed it up. And that's, and I agree with that entirely. And that, you know, that, that includes really great things and really terrible things. I'm going to steal that quote for something I'm working on. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. For oh, it's a novel. That. Cool. So yeah, that was the first episode of the Idle book club. And definitely clunky in parts. We're going to be figuring the format out, uh, getting a lot better at recounting the narrative for you guys up front so we can jump. We're going to make a gosh darn good effort (laughs) in doing that. Yeah. So if if you guys have any feedback or suggestions in that regard, please feel free to send them in to books at idlethumbs.net or go to the idle forums and uh, share your thoughts. Yeah. So next month we're reading cloud Atlas by David Mitchell, which is, I mean, that book is probably about three times as long as uh, The Sense of an Ending. So, See that book on your desk? Tape three of them together. Right. I and mean, that's how big it'll be. So you should probably you should get a, get a head start on that now um, for next month, which we'll be releasing the first Friday of October. Yep. And uh, much like what we did with Sense of an Ending with Cloud Atlas, we will be putting up a pre-discussion thread in the Idle Forum. So if you've already read it or finish it ahead of time and have thoughts you want to share and discuss with the other people um, who are reading along, please mm-hmm. do just stop by idlethumbs.net slash forums. Yeah. And uh, also for what it's worth, the structure of cloud Atlas, I think lends itself to in progress discussion. Just bear in mind that all of the threads about anything we discuss in the book podcast are going to have spoilers in them. But if you, if you want to stop in while you're still reading the book, feel free. Yep. It's all up to you. We'll see you guys in a month. Books. That's it for this month. Join us next time on the Idle Book Club when we discuss Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell.